Jimmy's style of guitar rhythm with, with that, you know, down, up, down, up, that constant brushing of that kind of guitar rhythm, the way that fits with the banjo roll. When he was on it, there was no better rhythm to play a banjo roll with. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope you're having a great day today. Welcome back to returning listeners. And if this is your first time tuning in, let me personally introduce myself and welcome you. I am Keith Billick. This is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, a podcast all about banjos and the people who love them. So if that's you, you are in the right place. And I'm really happy to have you here. I actually do have a few announcements from uh, Picky Fingers HQ here. First of all, the news that I know you have all been waiting for. I have fully restocked the official Picky Fingers merch store. And not only do I have four brand new colors of those world famous Picky Fingers t-shirts, they are upgraded t-shirts. They're now a Bella Canvas shirt. So pretty much all size and color combinations are available on those. I also added some really cool knit beanie hats. So check those out. I know it's getting cold where a lot of you are, and uh, hopefully those can help with that and uh, help you look stylish while keeping warm. And there's also some lightweight hoodies. So please go check that out. That's uh, banjopodcast.com and just click on the shop to view all of those items as well as other uh, stickers and downloads of the theme music, all that. Uh, Once again, banjopodcast.com for the uh, Picky Fingers merch store. In other exciting news, uh, your favorite banjo podcast and your favorite banjo podcast host are featured in this month's issue of the Bluegrass Standard Online Magazine. And special thanks to longtime VIP supporter Brent Davis. He's uh, he's a uh, contributing interviewer over there at Bluegrass Standard, and he, he thought that I would be a good subject. So you can go read all about it and find out if he's right. I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes here. So check that out if you'd like to read it. You know, I did mention that Brent was a longtime VIP supporter. So maybe some of you weren't sure what that means, but here's the deal. This podcast is almost entirely supported by you listeners out there. It's available to listen to for free, but if you want to show your support for the show, for the enjoyment that you get out of it, and uh, even earn some special rewards in the process, head on over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, learn how to pitch in a few extra dollars per month, and uh, keep this show running, and like I said, get some excellent rewards. Today we have a VIP supporter of the show, and that's Callum McKinley. Callum, thank you so much for being a VIP supporter. Like I already said, I really couldn't do it without you and the other VIPs. So uh, much appreciated for that. And once again, head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to show your support for the show. Or you can always email the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. I used to be a killer with the women, oh my, but now I'm just a hot shot with a teardrop in my eye. Love em and leave em, kiss em and grieve em, that used to be my motto so high. Till my saffroni left me so lonely and now there's a teardrop in my eye.
This episode is all about playing banjo with Jimmy Martin. As many of you probably know, Jimmy Martin is one of the key figures in the history of bluegrass music, and he was responsible for writing or popularizing so many songs that we consider standards of the music today. He was also very well known for being a uh, a colorful character, sometimes difficult to deal with, but always a great entertainer with a focus on making the music as good as it possibly can be. And his list of banjo players is uh, is impressive. It includes such folks as Sonny Osborne, J.D. Crow, Rule Yarborough, Vic Jordan, Kenny Ingram, Bill Emerson, and Alan Mundy. And of course, Chris Warner and Tom Adams. Well, I was in quite a uh, an interesting position to be in a house with both Chris Warner and Tom Adams together. And I thought, what a great opportunity to talk to these two veterans of Jimmy Martin's band, especially because Jimmy is no longer with us. Uh, what a great way to get some insight into what he was like, and especially from a banjo player's perspective. So here is our panel of Jimmy Martin banjo players. Please welcome Tom Adams and Chris Warner. Well, I didn't specifically prepare for this conversation, but I, you know, it, it struck me that you both have quite an overlap in your playing careers, not only due to your each having a stint with Jimmy Martin, but Chris, I know that you were an influence on Tom's playing, even regardless of the fact that you had the same boss for quite some time. Tom, maybe say something about Chris's playing and how that started you off and I know that he was instrumental in getting you opportunities with with Jimmy to begin with so I don't know maybe yeah. share some some memories about that yeah uh, Chris was one of the first really good banjo players that I ever got to see play live mm -hmm. and uh, just what a solid rhythm to his his playing it was yeah. just like just perfect you know that's that's the rhythm you know I, I want i want to get a rhythm like that going mm -hmm. um and a, a particular part of a particular jimmy martin recording that always fascinated me was uh freeborn man chris plays the first half of the break and then uh chris was it vernon coming in on the the fiddle who, who played the, the yeah fiddle? vernon Derek. yeah so yep. vernon Derek came in on the fiddle when the fiddle comes in after chris's lead part the role that Chris has going on in the background behind that fiddle break it's just just gave me goosebumps. timing of the notes in that roll on the, on that five chord behind the fiddle mm -hmm. just like if i could do that if i could ever do that yeah that i would feel like i was getting somewhere on, on the banjo yeah i'll start with that well chris i mean i imagine i'll be discussing your personal style with you but was that something that playing for jimmy 
affected? Uh, was that something that he demanded of you, or how did you come to add that to his recordings? Well, that particular lick, when we were rehearsing it, Jimmy likes you, first of all, to keep the banjo rolling all the time. Hmm. That's what he likes. He doesn't like you to stop and, and chop yeah. chords uh, occasionally. I mean, you can get away with it, but he likes you to keep keep rolling, right. you know. So when we were rehearsing with it, uh, that song, uh, you know, you try different things while you're rehearsing. That's why you rehearse, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to work that stuff out. But it just kind of fell in there because it just seemed like that's what I needed to do to just back up the fiddle and not do anything to detract from the fiddle, but keep the rhythm going. Yeah. So that's how that came about. Now, uh, Tom had told a story about how you invited him along to a, a filling gig that you took with Jimmy and looked at it maybe as an opportunity for Tom to get in front of Jimmy uh, that, that might help Tom in his career. And, and as it turns out, it, it did quite a bit. Do you remember that happening? And uh, what were you that thinking? That was Bridgewater, New York, wasn't it? Uh, was, was that it, up at Bridgewater? Was it Bainbridge? Uh, that's that's I was trying to remember the the name of the I don't remember it being Bridgewater. It was in New York State, but for some reason I remember it was. Uh, um, well, uh, yeah, where, wherever it was, yeah. uh, uh, I'm I'm thinking it was uh, Bridgewater. Uh, was Bobby Lundy playing the mandolin? That that I don't remember who else was playing that day because I was just I was just watching Jimmy and watching you play. There could have been there could have been aliens on stage, and I saw Jimmy and and you oh, on the banjo. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate those kind words earlier, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tom expressed interest in wanting to play for Jimmy, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, uh, I was just trying to fill him in on stuff Jimmy would like like him to play or would want him to play uh, and not have to learn it the hard way, so to speak. Uh, if you have a heads up before you go in there, you got to, you know, you have a better chance of dealing with everything, of course, yeah. you know, and you can, you can jump in there sooner rather than later, mm -hmm. you know, as far as what Jimmy likes. So I was just telling Tom, uh, about the type of rhythm Jimmy likes on the on the roll, maybe some licks. I don't know if we got into too much in the way of licks. Tom can figure. Tom uh, was a great banjo player even before he went with Jimmy. He got better afterwards, I think. But uh, but it, uh, he knew the he knew the rolls. He knew everything note wise and there. Uh, so I don't know if we. I don't remember working on too much of the the lick end of it, but uh, just the dynamics, the drive, and uh, uh, the rhythmic roll that Jimmy would like, which isn't easy to for a lot of banjo players to get. You know, it takes a while to begin to hear it. And I thought that uh, by Tom going along, meeting Jimmy, uh, talking with Jimmy, applying for the job would be a plus. The the people who I've talked to who have played with Jimmy, there seems to be this like really delicate balance of fear 
and intimidation, but also <laughs> like, but also appreciation. You know, a lot of people. You know, you both, I think, probably looked up to to Jimmy quite a bit and come out the other end feeling like you've learned a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, so maybe maybe talk about what it's like to go to the school of Jimmy Martin and and how that might be different than playing for, uh, you know, any other everyday band leader. Well, I always tell people that um, it was a crash college course in bluegrass for me. You know, I'd only been playing about three years, uh, three and a half years before I went with Jimmy. And I was far enough along that I knew I had all the breaks worked up, you know, like was on the records or very close to what was on the record. But I didn't have that that rhythmic role that I was speaking of earlier. Yeah. Uh, he got that drilled into my head. And like I say, it takes a while. If you're not used to playing that or listening or hearing that, you yeah. have to hear it first before you can play it. Uh-huh. So gradually that came along. And, and uh, uh, But he was intimidating. He was, he was hard to work for, especially if you're, you just went with him. He would... Uh, uh, be on you constantly uh, about not playing this right, not playing. You don't have, you know, your timing's off, whatever. But if you can withstand that and put up with it, he drills it into your head. Yeah. There again, the hard way, you know, you learn the hard. That's why I thought if I'd give Tom a little bit of heads up on those type of things, it'd be a little easier on him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, do you remember but, any examples of a time that he was giving you a real rough time? And uh, first time I was with him in the '60s, the first year and a half was just tough. I mean, it was really tough, and it's not only getting on me, but but other people in the band. Herschel Sizemore was with us playing mandolin for about six months, and as good a mandolin player as Herschel was, Jimmy's trying to drill into his head his style of mandolin playing. Yeah. You know, and Herschel at the time wanted to play it his way, you know, which didn't fit Jimmy's style. No. So they <laughs> they, like they butted heads constantly. Yeah. Finally, finally, Herschel left. And then years later, Herschel told me, he said, you know what? I was completely wrong about that. I should have been doing it the way Jimmy wanted me to do it. And I didn't understand that at that time. But getting back to... Uh, to my own situation, uh, being green like I was and uh, having only played a three and a half years before I went with him, it was all new to me. I was glad to be there. And even though at times I felt like quitting and moving back to Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, thankfully I stuck in there and finally picked up on what he was telling me. And uh, even when I went back with him the sec- in second time in the 80s, which was right after Tom was with him, uh, I, I could play his, his style much better the second time around than I, than I did the first time. Because there, there were times when I'd be standing on stage playing with a band be- between the 60s and the 80s uh, with him, and, and something would happen in the music that... that it was like a light bulb going off, you know. I would, I would say, "Oh, that's what Jimmy meant. <laughs> that's what he was trying to tell me," you okay. know. And it just, uh, 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 just gradually, you begin to realize how much Jimmy knew what he was talking about, you know. Yeah. And 
So uh, the second time I was with him in the 80s, uh, we got along great. Didn't have any issues about what I was playing, how I was playing it, because I I knew how he wanted it at that point. Yeah. I'd progressed enough beyond the first two years where I was struggling to get it. Yeah, you know? yeah that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Tom, do you, re- do you have any memories of ways that he would give you a hard time? Or, I, like, is he, what does that look like? Is he yelling at you? Is he, uh, what is he doing? Well, I'd, I had heard all of these stories and occasionally <laughs> seen, seen them acted out on stage where he would, you know, uh, uh, I saw him play live. I don't know who the banjo player was, or maybe it wasn't the banjo player, it was somebody else. And he'd like walk over behind him and, either actually or make like he was, you know, kicking him in the butt, you know? <laughs> and he he was always, I did not have any horror stories. Uh, he was always kind to me. Never, he was never uh, disrespectful uh, in in any way. The, the like the wildest thing he ever said uh, uh, to let me know that he was uh, not happy with uh, how a tune had gone. He goes, and, and of course, he's he's on stage when he doesn't tell me this on the bus he you know puts it out over the pa system i think we might have played uh, theme time and he goes well we've played it faster than that and we've played it slower than that but i don't think we've played it like that before <laughs> and i'm just thinking you know uh, i wonder what that means um but in general you know, first starting with him, and I've been playing for ten more years. I, you know, Chris, three years. I've been playing thirteen years yeah. before going with him. I thought I knew how to play the banjo when I started with him, and gradually found out through. Uh, I was telling Keith earlier about kicking off a song, but I'm bump bump. Nope, that's not it. But I'm bump bump. That's it. And I'm going. What's the difference? It's <laughs> the, the difference? same to me. That's right. So I went from kind of you know feeling that I kind of knew how to play. To questioning, did I know how to play? And then kind of built back up from there and had a better understanding of how to play after being with him. Yeah. Um, and just from a, you know, I, I think, a, you know, Bill Monroe's music is being, you know, like fiddle, fiddle music, you know, fiddle music, mailing music, Jimmy Martin music. I'm always focusing on the, you know, who's on the banjo on a Jimmy Martin record. Yeah. Um, and being a banjo player, playing these eight-note roles, and having Jimmy's style of guitar rhythm with with that you know down up down up, that constant brushing of that kind of guitar rhythm, the way that fits with a banjo roll, when he was on it, there was no better rhythm to, no. to play a banjo roll with. Just absolutely. No, that's right. That's right. To go along with what Tom was saying there about the the kickoff the right way and the wrong way, Jimmy's mindset was that if if I tell a musician that he's doing something right or well, that he'll get the big head and leave. <laughs> okay. That was that was that was his mindset. And finally, after after a, a year of putting up with him telling me I'm doing this wrong, doing that wrong, you know, the timing's not right. I, finally I said I was getting so frustrated I didn't know which way to go, you know. Yeah. So Finally, I told him, I said, Jimmy, I don't know what other banjo players were like when, when they were with you. I said, but if I'm doing something right, you have to tell me I'm doing it right so I know what to stick with. Uh-huh. If I'm doing it wrong, you tell me I'm doing it wrong. 
And when I get it right, you have to tell me that I'm getting it right. You know, I said, otherwise, I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what to stick with yeah. and what not to stick with. And after that, after I said that to him, and I was I was naive and shy being around Jimmy Martin. I mean, the great Jimmy Martin, you know, I loved his music. I idolized him since I picked the banjo up yeah. for the first time. You keep your mouth shut. You just listen to what he's saying and try to do it as best you can. But after I... After I finally got the nerve to speak up and told told him that that uh, uh, I think it I think it registered with him. Hmm. I think he realized, yeah, maybe I better tell them <laughs> that they're doing it right. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't know they're doing it right. You know. Yeah, but, if you're going to be a, all about the tough love, you still have to do the love part, not just yeah, the exactly. tough part. Yeah, yeah. But that was Jimmy. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments, but I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, it, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, and they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, or Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, it's going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. 
So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com, email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers Podcast sent you. Did you two uh, at any point compare notes to whether it's Crow or Emerson or Alan Mundy or anyone else who had ever played them? Did, did their experiences seem to match yours more or less? Did, did you guys compare notes like that? You mean with those guys? Yeah. Uh, their experiences with Jimmy? I've talked to Crow off and on, you know, about stuff he had to go through, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and Jimmy put him through exactly the same thing early on yeah you know but he jimmy got a hold of jd uh when he was 13 years old Hmm. so he jd learned it from the get-go you know uh but he still had to put up with jimmy's personality yeah yeah i talked a lot uh with bill emerson about that yeah there's there's the music stuff and then there's the uh personality stuff and you (laughs) <laughs> well, just, talk about that because I, I I never met Jimmy, never never got to see him play. He he was kind of out of it by the time I got into the music. So talk about his personality, or are there any other stories that you would want to share that may or may not even have anything to do with playing the banjo? He he always sounded like a little bit of an unpredictable kind of dude from uh, the stories I've heard. He was he was a character, <laughs> and uh, he was uh, pretty much an unpredictable dude. <laughs> yeah, we uh, really the only story that comes to mind right now is uh, there was a quite a stretch when I was in the band where we didn't have a regular bass player. There just there wasn't a bass player, mm-hmm. uh, so each trip to a festival was the bus pulls up. Parks, Audie Blaylock and I get out. We started the same the same day back in '83. Uh, get out of the bus, and we start walking around the campground, the festival site, looking for an unwitting victim. <laughs> hey, would you like to come play bass with Jimmy Martin today? You know, we'd go to listen if the people were out jamming, and and pretty much every festival had quite a few jams going on, and we'd approach a bass player, and then. You have yeah, to size them up like got, in a hurry. Yeah, and, well, listen, yeah, listen to them play. Okay, well, you know, come on over now. We'll, uh, you know, kind of train you as best we can on some some of these you songs. You have to realize the pressure you're under when Jimmy sends you out to find a bass player for Jimmy Martin. Yeah, like so that's Tom's, a lot of pressure for I had, you. And me of and course. Audie had to do that <laughs> in the '80s. But it just seems like Jimmy was always lacking a bass player. But mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, and he would. Uh, if you came back with anybody less than, you know, Roy Husky Jr., <laughs> he, was, he was a little bit disappointed. That would have been funny if we actually showed up one time with Roy Husky. Here he is. He was out in the field. Um, so some songs you can kind of get by on, but the song Shackles and Chains, it's in three-quarter time, and Jimmy on a live show <laughs> holds out any number of random syllables 
for any number of beats or parts of beats. And mm. when you're the bass player on that song, there is nowhere to hide even if you were the even if you were the regular bass player. If Jimmy's going to put an extra quarter measure in, the bass player cannot be right. On a long, long So you have this fella from out in the parking lot, and we launch into shackles and chains, and Jimmy's holding, and in shackles and chains. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> there's no way. And then he's turning around, looking at the, you know, staring down the guy like, why aren't you on the beat where you're As supposed- if he's the one who threw everything off. Jimmy yeah. recorded that song with an off time thing in there uh-huh. because the way he wanted to hold the words out. And we had to come up with Bill Yates, who was a bass player then. And uh, and we had to come up. That's with, right. You're on. You're on that record. Yeah, I'm on yeah. the record. Yeah. Uh, so we had to come up with licks that would fill that <laughs> spot and come out right. And and uh, Bill Yates said to Jimmy, he "said Jimmy, you're uh, you're going off time on that spot." He said, "I don't care." He said, "That's the way I want to do it. You have to do it with me." You know. <laughs> yeah. And and. <laughs> Like but but then he would vary from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You All, can't even live. Rely on he the would recording. do stuff, want to do stuff with his voice, and he'd hold it out longer or shorter, or you know. And of course, the bass player, never having done it before, there's no way that he can follow that. <laughs> we we got used to you know. You have to listen to Jimmy at every moment while you're on stage with Jimmy. You mm-hmm. never know what he's going to do like that. You know. Uh, but a new bass player picking him up out of the parking lot, even if he knows Jimmy's music as far as the songs, that particular song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, blue, bluegrass musicians are accustomed to having maybe a few extra measures here and there, but at least it's the same time signature. Most well, of the time. this is really, <laughs> yeah. unless you experience it, this is really strange. It's really yeah, weird. That sounds like it. And, and uh, when we do, when I was with him, and it, Tom probably experienced the same thing. We've had musicians from other bands that were out listening to this, and they'd come and say, how in the world do you play that song? i say, well, we just got used to it, you know. <laughs> we got used to listening to him, and we know what he's going to do. We just didn't know when he was going to do it. Yeah, you know? but you just kind of have to have that twitch uh, Yeah, if you listen uh, to the record, to... You, you can catch that spot. But okay. on stage, he didn't do it exactly like the record each oh, time, wow. like Tom was saying. Right. And and if you're on the banjo, you can 
you know, you kind of fudge your way because you're you're rolling along. You can kind of escape out of that roll when when you have to. Uh-huh. But but the bass player just hung out there. No, yeah. You have a choice of either dung <laughs> or dung, and chances are they're both going to be in the wrong spot on that song. So if Jimmy did that on the first set. If if that song was in the first set, Audie and I are looking at each other. We already know when the set ends, we need to go out Gonna and find, find the new... second bass player for that same day, because that because that guy's not coming back. We found a bass player one time, me and Audie, and we were having a hard time. It was down in Tennessee at a festival, and you know, we me and Audie's thinking, <laughs> who do we want to get? There's no good bass players mm-hmm. in this park, but we need a bass player. So we found this guy that was halfway as good as you were going to find as good yeah. as we were going to find yeah but having never played with jimmy before when he, when we finally got on stage for the show it was bad i mean it was really bad and jimmy's almost kicking the guy off the stage in front of everybody that's one thing jimmy had no tact he didn't he <laughs> no wasn't tact. smart enough to know okay this is not working but let's make it look like it's working yeah. For the audience, and then we'll talk about it when we get off. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jimmy would say what he was thinking while we're right on stage. Right. On the mic, yeah. And he'd embarrass I, – I think maybe one reason he wanted to prove to the audience who was in charge, I don't know. Hmm. But he'd embarrass musicians on stage constantly, especially – bass players that we had to drag out of the field <laughs> to play with. Wow. It could get pretty tense at times. And then you said there was a lot of pressure on you to find them. So what would happen to you afterward in those situations if, if the person didn't really cut it to he, a... He, he knew... We didn't even have to say it. He knew we did the best we could. Yeah, okay. I mean, he was he was disappointed that we didn't, you know, return with the Roy with Husky, Roy Husky. But, uh, <laughs> It 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 is what it you know. Yeah, at least he wasn't. He he never said anything to to us about it, you know. Because uh, like Tom said, he knew that we found the best one we could possibly find, yeah. and that that was all it was to it. You know, we couldn't do anymore. What about any other? Uh, do any other off the field stories come up with Jimmy Martin? I, you know, just any kind of funny antics that that you experienced with him. Oh, <laughs> some aren't tellable on the air, I guess. But <laughs> uh, let me think. I haven't thought about this for a long time. You think anything, Tom? No, I actually I can't think of anything that I'd want to repeat. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's a story of itself, right it, there. Yeah, he's uh, he he was such a, a showman. If if he could have contained his impulses a little bit, he would have. There was the Glenn Campbell TV show. Mm-hmm. There could have been the Jimmy Martin TV show. He was uh, he was an engaging personality, a showman. He he could do the music and and put on a show and just with a little <laughs> a little adjustment. Um, I mean, that would have been a heck of a show. Well, oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, his biggest problem was drinking, mm-hmm. and everybody knows that. You know, that especially anybody that's ever seen him, younger people that don't know Jimmy Martin, you know, they might not know all that. But he if it hadn't been for his uh, his drinking, uh, he'd have been on the Opry. On the Opry. Yeah, that's, that's a famous example. of That the- was his lifelong dream to be on the Opry. And, and he was his own worst enemy. 
he just messed that up royally, you know, big time. Uh, and like Tom said, there wasn't hardly anything that he couldn't have done with bluegrass music uh, had it not been for that. And the, the problem was when he was drinking, like a lot of alcoholics, drunks, whatever you want to say, then he couldn't control what he said. You know, it would just, he'd say what he thought. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> that was it. That was Jimmy. Uh, it was sad. It really was sad. I, I, when he was not drinking and really loving the music and liked his band, it was fun. I mean, it was just great fun. I loved it. Yeah. But if he was in a foul mood or uh, he couldn't separate off stage from on stage. It's like I was saying about his subtlety as far as reprimanding musicians. Yeah. He couldn't wait till it got off stage to tell them what he wanted to tell them, you know. It had to be— it had to come out had right had to then. be right then, no matter whether it was in, a hundred, uh, in front of 100 people or 100,000 people, wow. you know. That's just the way he was. And it was hard to take, but if you didn't learn to take it, you'd be gone. I was with him for two years the first time and uh, four years the second time. But the first two years were the toughest, trying to learn and do it the way he wanted it. You yeah. know, it's, that's pressure alone, you know, just wanting to please him, you know. But uh, but that's that was Jimmy. And anybody that's ever been around him and played for him knows what he's what I'm talking about, you know. I'm also struck by uh, just following both of your careers, the the all the times that, you know, you've played with Chris or Bill Emerson or Audi Blaylock, you know, all these threads from from the school of Jimmy Martin seem to to keep weaving themselves together. I'm wondering if that's a coincidence or is there is there some sort of um, fellowship or fraternity uh, among the the Jimmy Martin alumni that maybe give you a shorthand or understanding to be able to play together maybe better than random bluegrassers well uh, yeah there's there's definitely this uh a sense of community that all of these musicians have been through the same thing whenever you talk about whatever and you use shorthand or whatever to to describe something everybody knows what you're talking about and you know that if that, hey let's play you know you let's play this jimmy martin song with these guys that have been with jimmy martin you know they get it. They're they're going to do these subtle things that are, you know, quote right uh -huh. for this song. You're you're not going to be disappointed. You're not trying to train somebody who, uh, I don't know, they they put some weird chord in the middle of Sunny Side of the Mountain because it sounds cool, but they don't understand that you would never ever do that if Jimmy <laughs> Martin was standing there, because uh, you you just don't do that. You, you right. yeah. Everybody knows the the ins and outs that makes the, that music, you know, and it takes a whole group, you know, it takes the bass player doing what fits, fits the music. Uh, the, you know, if Jimmy's not there, somebody else playing guitar, Audie Blaylock, amazing on, on the rhythm guitar. Yeah. A another great player to play a, play a role to that just, it's like this freight train coming down the track. It's a very Jimmy esque type of sound that he gets. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing think. with Jimmy, the biggest difference uh, with Jimmy is is the rhythm, the overall band rhythm. If he if Jimmy can get the whole band playing to his guitar rhythm, mm -hmm. that that rhythmic 
roll on the banjo and uh and everybody's feeling that same same rhythm it's just so much fun to play with yeah. and that's why whenever we would get around ex jimmy martin banjo ex sunny mountain boys i should say uh, <laughs> uh that have been there long enough to get that and understand that it's so much fun to have jam sessions you know because it's it's there especially if if say one ex Sunny Mountain boy has been away from it for a long time, and he may have lost some of that feel mm -hmm. by playing with other musicians for years. Mm -hmm. Once there's enough of that rhythm in that jam session, they fall right back into it again. Oh, how cool! You know, yeah. it's just a feel. Now nowadays, there's a lot of a lot of banjo players and a lot of bands that are playing that same rhythmic. Role, you know, it's just not a like on the banjo. It's just, it's just not just three notes like da 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 da. It's da 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 da. It's a lope to it, you know. And an example, I did a a CD that I used Dudley Connell on. Dudley's got so much energy. I love to pick with him. Tom can. Can attest yeah, to that, he, but but his guitar rhythm is totally different than Jimmy's. You know, it's more of a Stanley Brothers, uh, boom chick, boom chick, you sure. know, type of thing, rather than a rhythmic rhythm. And uh, after the CD came out, we had requests for it to come out and do some live shows. So we got everybody in the band that was on that CD, except for the fiddle player. Ricky Simpkins played the fiddle on it, but I got uh, Tad Marks to play the fiddle, and. Uh, we played maybe a dozen shows, and it was actually Jimmy Martin's band with Dudley Connell and Tad Mark. So it was Earl Yeager on bass, uh, Audie Blaylock, and myself, Tad Marks, and, and Dudley. Yeah. And when we started to pick, Dudley kind of fell into that same kind of rhythm. He he wasn't playing this the, oh, wow. the Stanley Brothers type of rhythm that he always played we automatically just pulled him into it yeah you know and, and, and he commented on it. he said he said boy that's that's a different rhythm than i'm used to playing he said but it really feels good so uh, so he and he enjoyed that tad mark said that's a it's the best best rhythm i've ever played in my life was when we did those shows with dudley yeah yeah but me and audie and earl had been earl was there about a year with jimmy that's while we were with jimmy Mm -hmm. Still, and uh, of course, I've already been there for uh, some years. I'd been there. This is in the '80s now, uh, uh, and we had a blast doing those shows. I wish we could have kept it up, but uh, but that's the difference between the rhythm. And I, and I'm citing Dudley's rhythm and the Stanley Brothers' rhythm as a kind of a opposite of Jimmy's sure, rhythm. Sure, you yeah. know, just to. Show you the yeah the contrast. point out the yeah. difference you know absolutely Jimmy's rhythm was do literally 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 you know just had that that rhythm to it Del McCurry as good a guitar player as Del is the rhythm's a little different you know uh, and it's great I love playing with Del every chance I can but the rhythm is not like Jimmy's Jimmy's rhythm is just he's got his thing stands on its own you know yeah. and that's that's the main thing Jimmy drives into his musicians, not so much notes. He just wanted a melody played, nothing fancy, 
but that rhythm is what he and when that rhythm's all there everybody in the band's playing that rhythm Tom can attest it's just it's just fun it's not work you know <laughs> yeah that's great uh, so let's wrap it up here maybe maybe just give like some final thoughts about what you think uh, what what were your main takeaways from your time with Jimmy how did you grow as a player and maybe what what do you know now that you maybe wouldn't know but for uh, your experience with Jimmy uh, well, <clears throat> well t- to go back to what I learned from Chris having been with Jimmy the first time in the in the 60s and we you know talked about his personality and uh, drinking and all like that mm-hmm. but when he was totally straight totally on and and Chris brought all this stuff up to me it was it was kind of like theoretical it was like a theoretical discussion um about being uh, professional, you know, you, you, there's certain ways you know, you're going to play the music, but then there's a certain way you need to conduct yourself. And for Jimmy, oh, Jimmy yeah. didn't always conduct himself that way, <laughs> but but he talked about it. Uh, Bill Emerson would always say, "Well, yeah, he'd say this one thing, and then he'd, he'd act a different way." <laughs> but if you could just take what he was saying about, you know, being a professional and con, you know conducting yourself a certain way, I never had anybody talk to me about that before I met Chris and it's like, you know, at, at a certain level, you know, you've worked on your instrument or you, and you're singing or whatever. And then there's just things like, you know, you're at a festival and you, you don't walk in front of the crowd with a hot dog dripping mustard in your, <laughs> in your band out, you know, band yeah. suit, uh, j- just, you know, properly conducting yourself as a professional musician, as Jimmy would tell you to do, but not always do himself, was just something I hadn't thought about before. And it and it really separates the local band mentality where they show up and the guys have three different colored hats on, one's in sneakers, one's in cowboy boots. And they just like, really, this is who we paid to, to come here? You know, it's like, there's a level of professionalism that that goes beyond just playing good, good music that is part of being in a professional touring band, you know, so I would be aspiring to the ideals of, of Jimmy yeah. Martin and how he would present it. Do you know what I'm saying, Chris? Well, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy would always <clears throat> tout being professional, look professional, be professional, act professional. Yeah. Uh, don't go out in the parking lots and jam at festivals. We did because we, <laughs> like but now, he, did, he didn't want us to do that did know? he view that as uh like demeaning somehow to the image of of his band or uh i think he probably that was probably part of huh. it but i think he thought that we're the main attraction they're paying to see us they should just see us on stage yeah. doing our show don't be know? giving it away for free yeah. and huh. we avoided everybody in his band tried to do that occasionally you kind of get drawn into a a jam session uh but there again the problem tom alluded to was with jimmy's drinking he'd tell everybody to be professional and then by the second set he'd be totally wiped out Hmm. hanging on to the microphone trying to put a show on and i'm thinking you're telling me to be professional and you're getting totally drunk by the second set uh it was sad i mean it really it was sad to watch because Jimmy is such a good was such a good entertainer. He could get a crowd. He could take a dead crowd 
that's not responding to much of anything, and he can have them on their feet. He can he can just wind them up. Even when he was drinking, he could do it. (laughs) But but the shows would have been much better had he not been doing that. You know. So great advice regarding professionalism, but maybe delivered in a hypocritical I got in trouble with some local bands I started playing with after I left Jimmy uh, the second time because of stuff like that because I would see that it was ingrained in us and in one band I was with all great musicians good musicians but a couple times they'd end up jamming the fiddle player and the guitar player out in front of the stage between the stage and the audience on the breaks wow and I'm thinking yeah, a little. Hey, if you want to jam, go back behind that <laughs> truck, you know, and, and and jam your butts off, you know. But you don't go out in front of the crowd between sets. Yeah, it seems and a little tacky. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd say something to them, you know. Of course, they they're they have the local, <clears throat> excuse me, the local band mindset, <clears throat> and that doesn't they don't see that. They don't pick up on that. But since I was used to Jimmy saying, be professional, act professional, and look perfect, you know, I would, that would register on me, you know. And you knew how to translate it better for them than maybe coming from Jimmy. Yeah, but usually, usually most local bands that you play with, regional bands, not that they're not nice people and all that, and even good musicians, but sometimes they just don't look professional. Then they don't act professional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of it. Jimmy was right about that. Cool. Well, that's that's a good place to wrap up. Tom, I know you need to, to hit the road. You've given me hour upon hour of your time, which I am very thankful for. And yeah, thanks, Chris, for doing this. And we have more to talk about as well. But uh, good. hey, thanks for all the memories, you guys, especially for those of us like me who weren't able to see or experience Jimmy well, if we firsthand. Had more time, that's really fun to hear about. If we had more time to sit down and think it over and, and, and uh, jog our memories, we could come up with some more stuff. Well, maybe we'll get to <laughs> one of these days. That'd be fun. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. The sound clips you heard in this episode were all by Jimmy Martin, but uh, they were Sophroni, Freeborn Man, and then Shackles and Chains. Thank you once again to today's VIP supporter of the show. That's Callum McKinley. Visit patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. Or don't forget to visit all that new merch that I just got. That's over at banjopodcast.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you all next time. Put that possum in the trunk.